0: Isaiah chapter 7 Isaiah chapter 7 We're going to continue our Christmas series on the passage that really defines the the, the groundwork necessary to have the incarnation take place Isaiah is prophesying And he's speaking to Ahaz who happens to be the king of Judah The title of this message is Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. Isaiah 7, 10 through 15. Isaiah says, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Lord, help as we study. I want to talk to you about three things regarding this passage. The resistance of mankind, the persistence of God, and Emmanuel's resilience. The backdrop to this is that Ahaz and his people are in trouble. Ahaz represents the monarchy that rules over the southern kingdom of Israel, which is called Judah There's a northern kingdom that finds its home in a town called Samaria, and the king of that kingdom is a man named Pekah, P-E-K-A-H. Ahaz is ruling over the southern kingdom. Now many of you may not have known, but during the reign of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split under David, Saul, who was David's predecessor, and then Solomon, the first three kings, it was one nation. Rehoboam made some really unwise decisions regarding leadership and how to rule the nation. As a result, 10 tribes seceded and went to the north. Two tribes stayed in Judah, Judah and Levi. The other 10 went to establish their own nation. They had their own kingdom, they had their own monarchy, and they had their own worship. Unfortunately, they did not incorporate the things that were most important to the prescribed way God had Uh, given to Israel regarding how they needed to worship the Lord. And so they set up an idol up there, a golden calf. It was bad. In the northern kingdom, they did not have one good king, not one good monarch through the entire monarchy of the kingdom. They had some that were better than bad, but none good. Judah, on the other hand, having been prescribed by God as a people that would have their lineage in monarchy through David had some very good kings, some bad, some good. Ahaz fit more in the bad category. He wasn't near as good as he should have been. And Ahaz has been buffeted. Now, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, for the most part during both of their existence, worked together or at least had a, had a spirit of detente. They weren't always at war sometimes they collaborated and joined forces to ally against other nations but they were distinct and separate toward the end of Israel's existence, the northern kingdom 722 BC, things begin to start falling apart in the northern kingdom and you have assassinations and kings coming into power that had no royal lineage in them at all they just assassinated the guy who was there and then took his place and Pekah was one of the one of the ones who inherited a throne, not by birth, but by violence and you could almost feel the foundation of the northern kingdom beginning to crumble and Pekah realizes, I've got to have some more power, so he goes to another king named uh, Rezin, who happens to be of the kingdom of Aram doesn't have anything to do with Israel, completely separate nation and he says to Aram, along with in the northern kingdom, he says, let us go against the southern kingdom, Judah, and take it. And so they begin to align themselves to fight against the southern kingdom. Now, you know a war lasts for a little bit. Generally speaking, they are quick, and they have a lot of battles. Well, if you look in verses 1 through 9, which we did not read in the same chapter, chapter 7, you'll see that there, there seem to have been a lot of assaults from these two kings and their kingdoms against Judah. And it says that Pekah and Rezin came and attacked or assaulted Judah, but they were not able to conquer it. And as a result, Judah still stood. But some of you have lived long enough to know what it feels like to survive an attack. An attack from the enemy. I'm not talking about a physical attack. I'm talking about a spiritual attack where you know you have been buffeted and you didn't really win. You just survived. You might know what I'm talking about. You know, you didn't, not much progress was made. You didn't experience this, woo, you you just said, You, you know what I'm talking about. And this is where Ahaz was. These two kings had come against him time and time and time again. And they hadn't conquered Judah, but but Ahaz hadn't won. He just survived. He was still standing. And after you feel the assault of the enemy the first time, and you realize God saved me, you just raise your hands, you say Hallelujah, glory! I'm so happy. I'm alive. Thank you, Lord, for your protection. You are amazing. Amen. But then you realize the enemy's just taking a respite to, to garner more forces. And he's coming again. You say, ooh, okay, okay. Uh, I'm ready, I'm ready. And you go through it and you you come out and hallelujah, I'm saved again. Oh, Lord, you did it. That's wonderful. Ooh. Yeah, that's great. You realize there's another battle in a week. You know, and after a minute, your soul begins to wear because you don't know how much longer you can take this assault. You haven't experienced victory, but you haven't experienced defeat either. You're just kind of in the middle and you're wondering, God, how long do I have to hang on? How long do I have to just endure and stand against the, 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 the wiles of the enemy? When am I going to experience great progress in my life? I feel like I'm just holding on with a hurricane force wind trying to knock me over every day of my life. And every once in a while, the eye passes over and calm sets in. And I realized I haven't been blown away. And then all of a sudden, the other side of the storm comes. If you haven't experienced this, you just haven't lived long enough yet. This happens to everybody who lives long enough to be able to experience the grace of God and live and, and, and endure through this to come to the other side. But what we see here is a dear man who had given up. He hasn't given up the fight. He's just given up on God. Battle after battle after battle after battle. His people are tired. He's tired. He hasn't seen victory. And now he's beginning to say, "In his oh, my God, where are you? I mean, really? Do I got to do this again? And Isaiah says to try to encourage him. And, and, And remember, there's always encouragement. In the camp. And Ahaz could not have had a better prophet than Isaiah. I mean, when you are the one who is charged with writing 66 books of, of uh, 66 chapters of God's Bible, you got it going on. I mean, you have some, and with giving the most definitive and prescriptive prophecies about who the Messiah would be with respect to his birth, as we're talking about today, or with respect to his death in Isaiah 53. Or is his coming and the people will see a great light? Isaiah gets the privilege of talking about who Jesus would be more than any other single prophet. This is an amazing man. And he, his, his ministry spans four kings. Most respected human being in all of Judah. Maybe on all the planet at this time. And he is Ahaz's personal prophet. If that's all Ahaz had, he ought to wake up happy every day. Thinking God gave me a voice like that to tell me how much he loves me and what he wants to do to encourage me. Wow, that's amazing. He's in my generation. He's my prophet. It ought to encourage you to obey and stand. Ahaz doesn't look at it like that. So if you look at verses one through nine of chapter seven, Ahaz pretty much is he's pretty much so discouraged and so beat down that Isaiah has to tell him this do not be concerned about resin or pecca these smoldering brands, they are nothing I'm going to take care of them for you don't worry about it, I know the battle's been long but don't you worry, I got this but if you will not believe, you will not stand that's verse 9 if you will not believe, you will not stand now the sad thing In this passage, from verses 1 through verse 15, is what is not said between verses 9 and 10. Complete silence. You would expect that there would be some response from Ahaz that sounded something like this. Okay, look, I believe. I believe. I'm I'm, I'm in this thing. I I, thank you for encouraging me. I hear the word of the Lord that you're going to take care of these jokers over here who are trying to attack my kingdom. I trust you, oh God. Thank you. Nothing. Silence from Ahaz which is where we get to verse 10 and the Lord said a second time Now I'm I'm grateful for God speaking a second time but generally if he has to talk to you twice it's because you didn't hear the first time there was no response so I'm grateful for his persistence but I want to be able to say yes Lord after he told me once I'm glad he's not like my mom and said don't make me have to tell you again (laughs) You knew what was coming next And the Lord said a second time And you know that there was no response from Ahaz Because of what God said the second time He says this Listen to me Ask a sign He says through Isaiah, ask, ask. He's he's saying, Ahaz, increase your spiritual prayer life. Talk to God. Let your relationship grow. Reconnect with him. Ask the Lord. Go to him. You you, You are the leader of his people. They are looking to you for help. As you go, so this nation will go. I beg you, go in the presence of God and ask him some things. Pray to him. Get your relationship right, because when you do, other people will follow. He says, "Ask and listen. I have no limits on your ask. Whoo! I don't. There there are very few times God ever says that. Very few times in all the Scripture where He writes a blank check. Ask for whatever you want. Make it as low as shale." Or as high as the heavens, I'll do it for you. Hmm. That encourages me. He didn't even say that to me. (laughs) (laughs) And Ahaz's response is this. I'm not going to ask God for nothing. And I won't test him. After you've experienced one battle after another. Discouragement can not only come to your door but start squatting on your stoop. And discouragement brings friends. Resentment. Depression. Anxiety. Worry. Fear. And they all just have a party in your front yard. They're waiting to come inside. They're waiting. They're knocking on the door. They're hanging out at 2 a.m. You hear them in your dreams. You wake up in the middle of the night and you can listen to all those voices telling you about what will not happen good. Just asking for the opportunity to take the reins of your soul and tell it where they want it to go. And this is what happened to Ahaz. He was so mad that he was put in this situation in one battle after another he wasn't able to find victory for his people and he he was upset at God. Why have you put me in this situation? Well, aside from the fact that Ahaz was not very obedient, even if he was, sometimes God allows things to happen so that you can get more than what you want. When we request things of him like victory or cessation of difficulty, ultimately, this too will pass. He will allow it to go away. But will you be better on the other side than when the trial started? That's the key. James said in James 1 verse 2. Now when you encounter various trials, my brethren, consider it all joy. For you know it's the testing of your faith. God is trying to work so that you can have some endurance and be mature and complete, lacking nothing. But we don't think we lack that much. So when the trial comes, we think it's unnecessary. Absolutely. I do not need this. I am okay. I'm doing really well. And we judge ourselves by the fact that we're not sinning. (laughs) I'm not what I was, God. I'm so much better now. Okay, you're not a criminal. Like, am I supposed to be impressed? <laughs> Is that supposed to really encourage me that you're not actively practicing sin now? You get no kudos for that. There are no points. Now it's all about you becoming in his image. It's about character development. It's about him answering that prayer you prayed a long time ago when you first got right or some of you just got right a minute ago. And you're saying, Lord, make me like you. And you have no idea what you just said. You have no idea what you just said. Because you have no idea how far you are away from being like him. You don't know how selfish you are. You don't know how impatient you are. Oh, that's a prayer everybody needs to stop praying. Lord, make me more patient. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) We just don't know. And so the answers to all of our desires... God wants to to bring accompaniment so that when we get what we absolutely need in order to, to accomplish his will and we see victory, we also become more like him in the process. And so the people of Israel in Judah, now, excuse me, I'll say Judah specifically, the people of Judah, God was trying to teach them things about perseverance and trusting even when it seems like all is lost and staying on the road and not exiting before you hit the intersection of his provision. Ahaz decided he'd just exit I will not ask Nor will I test the Lord Seeming to be pious in his response By his theological correctness That you weren't supposed to ever test God But his attitude was this I'm done His words are not near as clear as his attitude I'm done I'm not, I'm not going to trust God no more I'm not going to ask him for anything anymore I'm done Ahaz exited before he hit the, the intersection of his provision. And God wants you to stay on the road to persevere because something happens on the inside of a person when they persevere. They grow deeper. They get bigger. The capacity of their soul enlarges so that they can handle more. And you need to be him or her who, who grows to handle more. Because right now, you have a hard time with your stuff how are you going to help somebody else? If you can't run with the footman, what are you going to do when the horses show up? So you, God is trying to help you grow so that you can become more for others. And you have to be able to make it through your stuff so you can help others with your experience to make it through theirs. Go! Oh, he's trying to get you to get more than just the answer to your prayer the more is becoming more like him so that you can be a better witness of who he is in the earth to everybody who needs to see who he is. Ahaz said, forget it, I'm done. He resisted God. Now the beauty is this. I am so happy that when we say we're done, God doesn't respond in kind. Now think about it for a minute. Ahaz was a little mad because he hadn't seen the victory he wanted and so he, th- he said I'm done with God what case could God make that would justify him being done with you how long would the, would the rap sheet be how, lo- how long would the explanation be of why he would be legitimate in his decision to say, I'm through with you. (laughs) Selfish, unkind, ignorant of his word and not interested in finding out more. Left him, came back, left him, got mad at him because he didn't do what you wanted, came back, left him again say you're a Christian and then live like something else so nobody else can tell who he is and now don't want to get to him because of you. How many things could God give as good reason for him to say, I'm done. I am done with you. And yet he has not. Your little bit of (laughs) upsetness, your frustration with not getting what you want when you want it. My God in heaven help you. Help me. Ahaz says, I'm done. God says, I'm not. In fact, I'm going to fix this all by myself. I know you won't help me. You're not going to participate. That's all right. I don't need you. I can do this. I'm going to send you a virgin who will have a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel. God continues to reach out with solutions even as we run away with him he is so kind and so merciful what does the psalmist say his ever loving kindness is without limit it's everlasting there's no real bound you can't figure out where the line stops with respect to how kind he is it's unplumbable he just continues to reach out to humanity that aggregately has ignored him if not turned to a a blind eye to his goodness been ungrateful and yet he continues to reach out and at one of the most discouraging times in Israel's history where nobody was looking for salvation from the Lord God said I'll bring it I'll help you when you can't help yourself and this is who Jesus was to us we were not looking for him we weren't trying to figure out how to get right with him we didn't wake up one day and said I think I will go out and try to find Jesus today the lights never came on he went and found us while we were doing the wrong thing that's how much he cares about us he is amazing this is what what Christmas means you make it merry by thinking about this how good God is in that he loved the world he loved it so much he sent his son And I know most Christians, excuse me, I know most of the world believes that Christians are very narrow-minded because they believe that, that they have the only answer to get to God. Well, there are many ways to get to God. And I unapologetically say, no, there aren't. No, there aren't. Now, it's not because I am intolerant. It's because it makes sense. It's theologically correct, but it makes sense. If there was another way to get to God, then then God may, you can ascribe two things to God that are unflattering. One, he sent his son which was unnecessary. He paid more for us than was necessary to pay. Who goes into Walmart and buys Cocoa Puffs? A $3.99 box of cocoa puffs and pays $20 for it. Any of y'all ever done that? You just went to the teller and said, listen, I know it's $3.99, but I want to give you $20. You want change back? Uh-uh. Then look at you, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Who pays more than retail? Who does that? Nobody does that. Especially not God. So if Confucius could have given us enough answers to fix our sin problem, why send Jesus? If Buddha could have done it, why send Jesus? If Socrates, Plato and wisdom could have done it, why send Jesus? Why pay more for something than it's really going to cost? And if they could have done it, then Jesus died for nothing. He died for nothing. Both God God the Father is unwise and Jesus died for nothing. Y'all, it cost this much. It cost this much. He said, I'm going to send my own answer. I'm going to send my own answer. Because I love you more than you love you. I love you more than you love you. And that's how committed to us our God was. And when we talk about what the answer was, it was Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, this is where our brains just go on tilt because everything about the incarnation and the incarnation is God becoming man. Everything about the incarnation goes beyond our ability to understand. The danger is that when when our theology is not contained within our mind and intellect that we then say it cannot be true because I can't figure it out. And rather than worshiping, we quit. But everything about all theology that goes beyond our intellect is that which is intended to inspire worship not confusion and there are always things that are going to be there that go beyond us because God's bigger than you he's bigger than the aggregate wisdom of all of humanity believe me you want him to be that big because if we can figure him all out he can't be God can't be This is one of the things about God that he must be much more vast than the thing he creates. Because the thing he creates cannot be be understanding of all that he is. Because he's limited in that he is created. God is eternal. No beginning, no end. We have a beginning which means there's stuff we don't know about back there. We're, We're intended to not have an end that makes us intended to be immortal. Which is the difference between eternal and immortal. Eternal, no beginning, no end. Immortal, beginning, intended to have no end. God is the only one in, the, in, the, in all of the universe that is eternal. Everything else has a beginning. So if you have a beginning, that means that there's stuff that happened before you came. And you don't know nothing about it. God is bigger than you because he's eternal. Now there's infinite too And I don't have time to get into that today But he is amazing So when you get to the point where your brain just stops You worship You don't get mad and confused You say oh Thank God my brain Couldn't figure it out That doesn't mean You cut off your intellect You go as far as you possibly can With your good brain To figure out who God is But when it stops When you can't get any further You worship And this is where the incarnation comes in. He is 100% God and 100% man. And you think, how can anything be 200% of anything? That's God math. I don't know. I don't know. That's why I worship. But I know this, that you cannot be 50% God and be God. You can't. If you're 50% God, you're not God. You're something else, but you ain't him. And if you're 50% man, you're not man either. I don't know what you are, but you're not man. (laughs) So the only way the incarnation can work is that he's 100% God and 100% man, which allowed him the privilege of being able to live a sinless life, yet be tempted in every way just like us, and have victory in every way. Where we fell, he succeeded. And therefore, when he died... Since the wages of misdeeds or sin is death and he never committed a misdeed, then when death came to take him, it couldn't hold him. Amen. And so he was able to rise from the dead because death had no hold on him. That gives us not only our forgiveness in that his blood was spilled for our sin And his life was a substitutionary penalty For all of our misdeeds Because we had consequences We should have died Instead he died for us And he could be the one who could take our death Because he had done nothing worthy of death You could have an altruistic person A very kind human being That comes and says God I want to die for humanity And the problem would be this Not the fact that he has a desire to do so But the fact that Jesus would, uh, The father would have to say Well let me ask you I, I appreciate that desire You want to die for humanity But the have you sinned? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, you, well Who's going to die for you? <laughs> you have to die for your own sin. There was nobody who could do that because everybody had blown it. The only one who could was somebody who had never sinned. And this is why, this is why the virgin birth is non-negotiable because it couldn't be just another good human being born from two good people because there is no good. We all are blown. Good is defined by being God alone. He's the only one in the universe who is good. Everybody else is flawed. Now, we do have to have our own delineations down here between the good and bad guys. I get that. We do have to be able to define who goes to jail and who doesn't. I get that. But when we talk about the, the essence, the pinnacle, the empirical definition of being good, it's God alone. Amen. And all of us fall way short of that. And so, Jesus was good. And he did not deserve death, and so he was able to rise from the dead. And our sin was forgiven, and his life was given to us. Don't have time to go into all of the soteriology and what it means, but we have been saved by him. This is how the incarnation is relevant to us, and that the virgin birth is non-negotiable. That the word of God became flesh in Mary's womb. Oh, and... This is God's commitment, but then we talk about the resilience of Jesus. Man was resistant. God was persistent. Kept reaching out to us. But Emmanuel, Jesus. Hmm. Philippians 2 said, have this attitude, verse 5. Have have this attitude in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. who Though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, becoming a bondservant, and then humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, 5 through 9. It says he emptied himself and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, he did not empty himself of his person or his godness. He emptied himself of his privilege, meaning he was omnipotent. All-powerful. Anything more weak than a human infant? You have to really press to find something more weak and vulnerable. He was all-knowing. And now he was going to ask his flawed, uneducated, ignorant version of humanity that had fallen way below what, what he intended for Adam to now be his tutor. He needed help in understanding things he was omnipresent and now he was confined to a little five and a half pound 18 inch body you talk about the tendency to claustrophobia <laughs> he gave up all the privileges of heaven and all of the privileges that he had of being God not as godness but the privileges of being God he gave them all up for you for me and if that wasn't enough he not only gave up his privileges but then that which he gained in giving up his privileges he gave so that we could be saved meaning he gained a life a body they grew into probably maximum 5 foot 635 pound frame and then he gave that up I mean at some point you'd have to say Lord really I already gave up enough but I got to give this too I gave up what I had in order to get what I didn't want. And now that I got what I don't want, it's all I got. But it's all I got to give too. And you want me to give that? What do I have left? That would be our version to talking to God. I mean, you've lived long enough, some of you, to be able to say, I've given enough. God, don't you remember I gave to the building campaign? I gave to the orphans. I tithe, I offer, I give to widows, I go and deliver turkeys at Christmas time to folk who ain't got none. You want me to do what now? You want me to do what now? You got to be kidding me. Nobody's given as much as I've given. Well, maybe somebody, but I don't know them. (laughs) What he sacrificed to get, God required him to give that's how much he loved you he was resilient whatever it took he said I'm going to do for these people because I care about them and that's before we even cared about ourselves this means Emmanuel God with us this is salvation this is Merry Christmas that in the midst of our rebellion and going the wrong way God still pursued us And even when we weren't interested in his answer, he said, I'm going to fix it anyway. And he made a commitment to our well-being, and he is not reneged on that. His faithfulness is everlasting. God, I'm grateful. Lord bless us, help us, strengthen us to live worthy of our calling and the sacrifice that you gave for our well-being.